0: welcome to t l c It's good to have you guys here. I think the devil does not want me to talk today. I was fine last night, and all of a sudden I lost my voice uh, we' at the I was actually at the vm retreat leadership retreat up in uh, Bakersfield area oh, actually shit, the grapevine area. It was great it was it was uh just going through just our theme for twenty twenty three Pastor Lynn wanted to share with all the leadership what that theme would look like and how to really express it this year and I'm really excited to share with you guys that theme for next year, uh, next week, actually, as we begin to unfold that. Uh, but today, I have a, I'll have the last message in this series uh, for you, okay? Um, you know, we, um, we start this, you know, every, every beginning of every year, we start our series with simply what is the theme of TLC? You know, what is, what is the vision of why we're here? To love God, to love people, to bless the world. And there are ways in which we carry that out as a community, as a body, as a church. It is to a, a life of worship, uh, the life of, of community, a life of mission, a life of discipleship, right? And I, and I think we've preached this so much for you guys that every year you guys hear the same thing over and over. And I, I think you get it. And I, I felt like I got it too, you know, and I felt like I understood this. But I'll give you a pastor confession, you know, early in the message today, pastor's confession. Um, you know, towards the end of last year to the beginning of this year, I've been, uh, there's been a huge weight on my shoulders, uh, as I think about all of these things of worship, of community, of missions and discipleship. Uh, I think, I think there was a, there was a, there was a joy in me that I know that our, our church carries these things out with a full intensity for the love of God, but, there was, there was this weight on my heart as God asked me a question uh, that's been weighing on, on me for a couple of months. And the question was, I, I know you get it, Tony. I know this is understood, but the question I want to ask you is this, but are you fruitful? That was a very weird question because I didn't get it. He said, are you fruitful? Said, what do you mean? Yeah, I think we're pretty fruitful. I think we're doing okay, Lord, right? I mean, I've been trying to do it your way. But that's all he said. Can you, can you, I was asking, can you further elaborate what you mean by, are you fruitful? And God being God decided to, to stop talking at that time. And so for about a month or actually two months, I was uh, sitting on that question thinking like, okay, what, what does that mean? And I, uh, I, I started calling people that I, I, I love to kind of, uh, help me with that. I called my, uh, my mentor. For three months, he, he ignored me. Uh, then finally, he said, stop bothering me. I'll have lunch with you, have dinner actually. And then as uh, so I met with him, we were just talking, we were sharing, it was, really, it was really great, even though he's a, he's a brat sometimes, right? But uh, it was really great, and I was really blessed by that, and he gave me a book to read. And <laughs> the craziest thing is when I opened the book, the first thing was like, the question was, are you fruitful? <laughs> And I was like, I hate him so much. <laughs> uh, and he's here. By the way, I didn't, I didn't plan it. He just showed up out of the blue. Uh, now, Steve, if you have any um, issues with me, just talk to him <laughs> later, right? About it. But that's um, that's that's where my part is right now. As I end this last message series for you, and the question I want to lay down to you is the same question that's been on my heart that I've been kind of weighing for a while. Is the question is. Are you fruitful? I know that you understand worship, and I know that you understand community, and I know that you understand mission and discipleship. But the question I have to ask is very simple, is are you fruitful? Is your life that you proclaim to follow in Jesus Christ, is it fruitful? And I'm preaching to you today, not as a, your pastor who understood this completely, so I will now declare to you with all arrogance and pride, I preach to you today very simply as uh, your, your 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 pastor who is a sinner who needs you to understand, to walk with me in this area too. As we ask the question, are you fruitful? And I know the, the simple question you ask back is, Well, how do I know if I'm fruitful, Tony? I'm glad you asked. Let's go through it today. There's five areas that I want us to kind of do a gut check for ourselves, to to measure our hearts, to kind of um, think about our spirits as as we think through this. And I don't want you guys to just jump to an answer yes or no, but I want you to let it kind of sit on you for a little bit, let it weigh on your heart for a little bit. And see what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. So let's pray before we open the word. Father, I want to thank you, God, for the life that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so unworthy in every possible way of your grace and of your mercy in our lives. And yet here we are, the recipients of it, to be able to call you Father, to be adopted into this family, to be known by you and to know you. And oh Lord, we just pray that in this life that we don't just meander through it, but that this life will be a life that honors you, that glories in you, that centers itself upon you. And so, Lord, as I pray and as I end this series for TLC, a life of, I want to pray, oh God, that we would do this. Heavy gut check. And Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and begin to convict and begin to prod and poke upon our lives until we surrender and submit and be honest with our own hearts before you? Lord, would you uh, anoint me to speak your word and worthy as I am to do so? I ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Are you fruitful? How do I know, PT? How do I know? Uh, Open your Bibles to Philippians 3. The first thing. One of the marks of fruitfulness in the Christian life is not about how much you do, how much you serve, how much is accomplished in your life, how many people you have following you. One of the greatest signs in the Christian life for you to know if you are fruitful is to see if there is a growing esteem for Jesus Christ a growing love and reality of Him in your life. Not just part of your life, not just an auxiliary part of your life, but the actual center, driving force of your life. And I want you to hear what Paul, the apostle, has to say, the way he begins to measure his life, the way he begins to discern his life. Philippians 3, verses 8 to 9, this is what he says, what is more, what is more, I consider everything a loss. That's everything. My life, my career, my job, my reputation, my family, my trajectory, my future, my retirement, my marriage, my lack of it. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Amen. Is there a growing esteem for Jesus in your life? And before you just blankly say yes, I want you to think about this. Let me exposit this a little bit. Let me explain it a little bit more before you just say yes, so nonchalantly, carelessly. Paul was not describing a mere appreciation for Jesus. Paul was not describing a mere affiliation with Jesus. He was not just describing a relationship of, of, of buddy-buddies with Jesus, of knowledge of who he is. Paul His thoughts, his affections, his desires, his trajectory was all completely saturated, encompassed, held towards Jesus Christ. Not just an idea of Jesus, but the real person, Jesus Christ, the living Lord, our Savior the one who died on the cross for your sin, the one who came from heaven unto earth to walk the footsteps of man because we could not walk it ourselves. We did not know how. This Christ was his all-encompassing desire. Not thought of him, not a belief in him, the reality of him. And some of us in this church, and you guys may think like, you know, pete I've been here a long time. Some of you guys are college kids, you live in a very weird culture now that gives you all this understanding about what Christianity is. There's a whole group of progressive Christians rising up, telling us who, what and who Jesus Christ is. And you begin to question and ask the question, ask this thought, is, is, what is so special about Jesus, Tony? What is so special about him? Well, how can one man from an obscurity in the middle of history, nobody, what can he possibly do? This one man who stepped into humanity so many years ago, this one man, what can he do? His presence, his reality outweighs everything. You take all the glory, all the beauty, all the wonders, all the majesty you can ever imagine. Take everything that takes your breath away. You take all things, matter, spiritual, and you place them on one side of a weight and you place Christ on the other and he outweighs them all. This is who Jesus is. This is how Paul saw Jesus. Jesus was not just somebody who was there on Sunday. He was not just somebody he called on for help when he needed it. He was not somebody that was there to buffer his feelings of, 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 of of fear and anxiety. Jesus was everything to him everything, and he considered, he considered all of his accomplishments, and he accomplished a lot. All of his achievements, and he achieved a lot. He considered everything, all of his desires as rubbish, garbage, useless, makes absolutely no sense to him in comparison to knowing Christ and to have Christ. Church, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower the question I have to ask is, is there fruitfulness in your growing esteem for Jesus? If, if, is there a desire? Do you, if, if, do you get excited about the statement, do everything for the glory of God? Do you get excited when you talk about and think about the things of Jesus? If you do not get excited about those things, if those things aren't even, a, 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 if they're just an afterthought of your life, Can I I tell you something really clearly? I love you and I say this. You have to be careful. You should be afraid. Because it's possible that your profession is false. It's possible that what you say about what you believe in Jesus is false. Because a believer in Christ, saved by Christ, given his spirit by Christ, what will happen to this believer? Each and every day, he will grow. I'm not telling you that you have to be there right away, that you have to reach this unbelievable standard of Paul, but that each and every day, there is a step, there is a movement, there is a hunger, there is a desire to cast away what you think was your greatest and to cling only to Jesus. That he is bigger in your life day in and day out. Paul says, my righteousness What makes me good, what makes me right, what makes me who I am does not come from what I do or the things I observe. What makes me righteous is Jesus Christ. That's how I am right before my God. Are you growing in affection for Jesus, church? Because if your profession is true and real, he must increase, as, past, as Elder Wang shared with us last week. He must increase while we must decrease. If you find yourself years into this journey, and some of you guys have, we've been together for a decade, have we not? If you find yourself with some of us even longer, right? if you've been here all these years on this journey, and Jesus Christ has not increased one iota in your life, that he's still just an afterthought of your day-to-day experience. He's just something that you bring up whenever you need to. Let me tell you something. You should be scared. There's a good chance that all you've done is love the idea of Christ and not Christ himself. For the fruit that will come from a true relationship is one that has the courage to say, to die is gain, but to live is Christ." Philippians 1.21, to die is gain, but to live is Christ. You know, I, I, um, I love the series, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You guys know that series, right? The whole Narnia series. Uh, Peter did a 60-question interview about me. It was very, very, very awkward. But, uh, you know, if you haven't watched it, don't watch it. But anyways, one of the questions was, we were in my library and I, I pulled out one of my favorite books, which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. was my introduction to Jesus Christ as a kid. And from C.S. Lewis. And, and, and Peter asked, Tony, if you can ask C.S. Lewis one question, what would it be about this series? And I said, you know, I, I, would always, I always wanted to ask, why is it that every time the Provence's siblings or even the kids, each book, Aslan got bigger? Like, why did the lion get bigger each time they saw him in each book? I didn't know, and I was thought, I was thinking, for some reason I was thinking about it this week and I was, as I was writing this message, preparing for it, and then it dawned on me. He got bigger. He, he was always the same size, but the reality is every time they encountered him, he became bigger to them. Aslan was the personification of Christ, right? Aslan was bigger to them, deeper to them, more real, more rich to them every single time. Their life, their existence was beginning to get deeper and fuller into this, into this Christ. And every time they met with him, he was bigger and bigger in their life. Is that true of you? If I met you one year from now, is Christ bigger in your life? If I met you 10 years from now, is Christ bigger in your life? We've been together for 10 years. How big is Christ in your life? Just ask yourself some questions. When it comes to your school, when it comes to your schooling, how important is Jesus in that? How central is he to the decisions you make in your schools, in your studies, in the work habits you put in to your studies? Is Jesus the central part that drives you? Is he that important for why you do what you do? Are you hitting the books because you have a call and you know that this right here, this is the road to fill my call? And I will do this because of the Christ call in my life. Is essential to you? Ask yourself the question. And when it comes to your work, a lot of us are working now. A lot of us are working now. And I get it. It's stressful to get a job. It's stressful to go and find things. It's stressful to put things together. It's stressful to send out resumes. And you're just, you're just, just hoping and praying. Somebody just say yes to me. But in the midst of your search in the midst of your work, and those of you guys who do have a job in the midst of your work, have you asked the question, is Christ important in this? Is he central to this? Is he the driving force of my work here? Am I living out the calling of work? That when I work, I am part of God's creation. I am part of God creating his presence here. Work is a blessing. Work was something that God gave us. Have you centered your mindset on what work looks like? In Jesus Christ, or has it only been about you? It comes to being in relationship, planning your marriage, your future, raising your children, the way you spend your time and your money. Is Christ central to those things? Is he the utmost to those things? Is he important in those things? Is he the driving force in those things? Is he bigger each day in those things? Or has it just been about you? Because the question I have to ask is simple Are you fruitful? And the sign of a fruitful believer, or a fruitful son and daughter of the living God, is that each day you take your breath, the esteem, the love, The desire for Christ is bigger and grander. Are you fruitful, church? Here's the second thing. How do I know if I'm fruitful, PT? Is there a spirit of repentance in you? I know I'm asking you questions that like, I can't really measure this stuff. Tony, how am I supposed to measure this? Ask the Holy Spirit, he'll measure it for you, right? Matthew 3.8, you know in your heart. Matthew 3.8, and if you're listening, you know. And this is, this, is, this is John the Baptist speaking, preparing the way for Jesus. Preparing the way for Jesus, he says, as you begin to encounter Christ, as you will begin to see what he has to come, what does he call the people all over the land to do first? He says, verse 8, produce fruit. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Are you fruitful? Another way of asking that is, are you repenting? Are you repenting, church? One of the ways you know that you are living a life of fruitfulness is that there is a deep spirit of repentance in you. Being a Christian is not waiting for Jesus to simply satisfy your needs. First and foremost, you know what Jesus satisfies? He satisfies God's wrath in your life. Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. This is not metaphorical. This is not something that you just kind of like, yeah, sin is death. My life is going to suck. No. Actual death, an everlasting, no returning, life extinguishing, eternal damnation. And, the, and that is our ultimate end unless there is a repentance in our life. You cannot say, oh, PT, I think I'm okay because I got better than I was last year. But are you repenting? Is there a change in your life? Because what repentance does, it changes the trajectory that you are on. It takes you from thinking this is okay, and the repentance says, no, it's not. Move the other way. Get back on the road that's narrow. Repentance is saying that I cannot do this on my own. And I need to cling to Jesus for my salvation. I know some of you guys are thinking, oh, he's trying to scare us into heaven. No, I'm not. I'm not. You know, this, this crazy thing is this whole, this, starting 2023, I had a buddy of mine. We've been talking for a few years now. I met up with him a while back. He doesn't live in California, but he texts me often here and there. And last year, he texted me, he said, I'm going to kill myself. I said, don't do that. Right? I said, the fact that you haven't texted me, I know you don't want to. He said, I do. This could be my last confession. So we talked. We talked for a while. Finally, I asked him, hey, man, like, let me pray for you. What is it that I can pray for you? If, I can do a, if God can do a miracle in your life, what would it be? He said, I will make it through this year. Right? But don't waste your prayers on me. So, but, you know, I was cheek and tongue. I said, I'm going to pray it. I'm going to pray it. 2023 came along, I text him first, hey, man, you're still alive. <laughs> I think God answered. He says, no, he didn't. I'm on the verge of it, man. He's been texting me almost every day. And every day I'm just giving him a word, a message, a truth, a reminder. And I remember this last, this past couple of days ago, he, he messaged me, and says, why, does it, why do you even care? When I die, no one's going to remember me. It's going to be over. Nothing, nothing matters, man. This life sucks. Everything about it is difficult. No one, no one knows my No one even cares whether I'm here or I'm not. I think some of us feel that way sometimes, yes? And I, I remember, I said, you know why I care? And, you know, it's funny because this is the first time I actually, I think I had a panic attack because I actually thought he was going to do it. I said, I care because I really believe that when you take your last breath, your next moment of existence, it's not extinguished, man. The moment you open your eyes, you're going to wish with every ounce of your heart that you had one more minute here on this earth, as bad as you thought it was. I'm talking to you because I do not want you there. So I told him, give me 40 days. Let's just just talk for 40 days, and then we'll decide what happens after. We're on day 16 right now, okay? So please keep praying. But that's the thing. We don't repent because we don't think there's anything to change. We think we're fine. We think we're okay. We just kind of meander through, and and your attitude, your attitude is this. You know, I I think I've gotten better. You know, I've 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 been better. You know, I'm I'm a new me. I've grown, but there's no remorse. There's no understanding, no disgust, no change in your attitude for the reality of the sin that the Bible says causes death, that actually took the life of the living God in order to save you. There is no remorse. There is no disgust. You need to be afraid because there may not be a fruit in your life in this. You may have the veneer of religion and spirituality, and you may fool yourself and those around you, but the things you do, the company you keep, the improvements you have, the things you achieve, the ministry you lead, but if there's no hatred for sin, no desire for change, no wanting of righteousness or godliness. Can I tell you, church, there may not be Christ in your life. Because a life that is beating with the heartbeat of Jesus hates the very thing that brought Jesus to the cross. Why would you dance with the very thing that nailed your Savior to the cross? Why would you live in it as if it was something that is just some, a part of your life rather than to be extinguished from your life? That's why I always say, church, as long as we can still repent, we can still grow when we stop repenting we stop changing amen? amen right that's why ladies when I tell you guys when you guys get married marry a Christian a real one right not ones that just say I'm a Christian so that he can marry you but a real one you know why as I know if he is a follower of Jesus and he loves Jesus and if he can repent he can change he can grow Your marriage can be strengthened. It's vice versa too, guys. Look at what Job says when he came face to face with the reality of Jesus. Look at what he says in Job 42, 5 to 6. He came face to face with the reality of God and the reality of his sin. And this is what he said. He He wasn't like some entitled Gen Z kid that said, sorry, right? Didn't even mean it. He said, my ears had heard of you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make fun of JC. I I should make fun of Seth. Okay. All right. He he wasn't just some like, like Enoch who like, you know, does something wrong and he says, sorry, but I know you're not sorry. Right. But he says, sorry, as if he, as if that's enough. This is what Job says is my ears had heard of you. Now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself. I hate myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He's saying, I cannot even believe and fathom for a moment that I would dance with this. That I would even let this be a part of my life in comparison to you. How would I even dare before you, oh God, when was the last time you repented? True repentance of your sin. When was the last time it broke your heart so much that you said something has to change? This cannot be the same way. I cannot continue. Church, you know your pastor. Guilty number one. But if you can repent, there is hope. If you can repent, change can come. If you can repent, Life is still here. Some of us, it bothers me so much. You understand shame and guilt when you wrong someone you love? You you, you feel an angst and and a pain behind it. But When it comes to God, your approach of repentance is like Enoch coming to me and saying, sorry. You don't mean it. It's just a thing you do, thing you have to do. True repentance is a sign of fruitfulness because why? Because repentance always brings change. Well, that we would have a church that repents on the daily. Well, that your heart will recognize the thing that you fiddle with on a day-to-day basis that you think is just not too bad. Not too bad. But before the eyes of God, it is an abomination. Before the eyes of God, it was the very thing that took him to the cross. Psalm 51, 7 states this, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Do you know why? God is more willing to forgive you than you can possibly imagine. He is more willing to save you than you can possibly imagine. He is not a God who is nitpicky. He is not a God who is watching. He is a God who is so much wanting to save you. The Bible says he stand at the door and knock. He says, open it. Let me in. Restore this broken fellowship. Stop running. Stop hiding. I want to be a part of this, but he is a God who will not fight you for your schedule. He is a God who will not fight you for your idols. If there's something in your life more worthy, more value than him, he calls you to repent and return to the only thing that has value. When you you repent, church, oh God, when you repent... The grace of his love pours and you're reminded, you were reminded, I am loved. I am his. I am forgiven. Are you repenting, church? Are are we repenting in our life? Is there a energy? Is there a, a heartache? Is there a brokenness? Is there a contriteness to this? or is it just lip service? How do I know if I'm bearing fruit, Tony? One, is Jesus Christ growing in the steam in your life? Is he getting bigger each day? Is he more important to you every moment? And two, is there a spirit of repentance in your heart? It's not too late to repent. It's not too late to return. Jesus Christ, he waits. He longs for it. Here's a third thing. A devotion to the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. A lot of you guys know this by heart. Let me read it again. How do I know if I'm bearing fruit, P.T.? How do I know if I'm fruitful? Is there a devotion to the word of God? Look at verse 16 and 17, chapter 3. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, not just the one you want, not just the one you like, from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is from God. All scripture. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God breathed. Paul tells Timothy, that means that everything is from it, is from God. Everything. The power of the infinite, eternal God who spoke life into creation, working through his chosen instruments, writes out the revelation of himself. In this collection of books that we call the Bible, all of it is God breathed. And this is how God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. And you who call yourself sons and daughters of the living God, who call yourself followers of Christ, cannot even bear to open it on a daily to examine and ask the question, who is my God? You come up with ideas of who he is based on your TikTok, your memes, your Snapchats, your music that you listen to and you think and you you hear off of commentaries of people talking about people talking about the Bible instead of opening it yourself and asking, God, who are you? Speak to me. I think a lot of us would say this, I believe in God's word. If I ask you, don't raise your hand, do you believe in God's word, (laughs) right? I think a lot of you would, out of kind of routine, habit, would say, I believe in God's word. But you know what I fear? That it's starting to seem like there's a growing trend where God's word is not sufficient. You believe that this is God's word, but you don't believe that God's word is sufficient. You don't believe that his word is enough for your life. To say that God's word is inerrant, You say, this is the living word of God, but I don't believe it's sufficient for me. It's like me saying, I love Trisha. She's a perfect wife while having an affair. And you're like, is she perfect though? If that's happening or or someone's lying. For you who say, I believe in God's word. Yeah, this is God's word, the Bible. Yeah. But if it's not sufficient for your life. If it's not enough to begin to answer the toughest questions in your life, and can I tell you, it can, it will, if you would look. If it's not enough to help you navigate the cultural references that's been going on in your world, it can, it will, if you would open it. If it's not enough to ask the deeper, harder questions of purpose in your life, it can, if you would open it. The word of God is timeless, and therefore it is timely. Suitable for every generation. And one common thing that comes out of so many testimonies I've heard. You know what? Even with our, uh, our speaker for our retreat coming up next week, two weeks from now, right? Pastor David Park. You know, I, I, I share with you guys his testimony on our family page. It's a great testimony. I, I didn't share it so that you guys were like, ooh, he's pretty crazy, right? I share it for you. Really, because one line of it hits me. You know what it was when he was in jail? He said he opened the Bible and he read it cover to cover. And it renewed his mind. It renewed his broken mind that was lost on the streets, psychotic in every possible way. But he took the Bible and he read it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And the Bible said it transformed his mind, it brought him back, it changed his life. It wasn't some program, it wasn't some how to's, it was the Word of God working in a son who is willing to read it. PT, the Bible offends me. It offends me. Let me read to you what the scripture says again. I think you missed it. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training you in righteousness. It's supposed to offend you. The Bible is supposed to offend you. Do you know why it's supposed to offend you? This is how you know you're dealing with a real God. If you're dealing with a fake God, some man-made creation, everything that's written is going to do what? It's going to tickle you. He's like, I like that a lot. Oh, I love that. Oh, tell me more, right? How to live my best life now? Yes, right? Unlock my secret. Tell me more. But the Bible, you know what happens when you begin to read the Bible? It reads you. The Bible reads you. You're not reading it. He's reading you. And as he's reading you, he's telling you, this is your heart, daughter. This is your heart, son. This is your mind. It is not where I want it to be. It is not how I made it to be. Keep reading. This is how you know It's not going to tell you the things which you like. You think that when you open the Bible and honestly read it, that you're just going to get more information. It's not true. You soon discover that the word of God is not just information and cookie cutter stuff that's going to be good for your moment of life. But this word begins to transform your every thought. The renewing of your mind, he says, your thoughts, your inward selfishness, your bent towards your ego, your pride, your want to exalt yourself over God. It calls all these things out of you. It brings to light. It is a mirror to your face. It says, do you actually, have you really looked at yourself? This is who you are. Not that 10 seconds that you put on your Instagram Real. That's not who you are, and that's not who any of those people are, by the way. This is who you are, and deep down, I know you know it. Deep down, I know you know it. And you only have one option, obedience or rejection. You can You either obey it or reject it. Is there a devotion to the word of God? Is there a devotion to the word of God in your life, church? I shouldn't have to beg you to read God's word. I shouldn't have to create a challenge for you to open your Bible, to read God's word on a daily. Those are fun. Those are nice. Brings people together. That shouldn't be the reason why I opened my Bible to read it. What God is doing when you begin to read the Bible, you know what He's doing? He is He is He is calling a people for Himself. He is calling this out. He is calling a world that has broken. He's saying, This is my people, this is my kingdom. This is what my people will look like. This is what my people will do. And it is contrary, it is backwards to the rest of what everyone else is telling you to do. But let me tell you something, just because, just in case you're thinking, but I kind of like what the rest of the world is telling me. I promise you, kingdoms and nations have come and go, but the word of God has endured for generations. There's not one culture that will last. 50 years from now, your kids will laugh at you for doing what you're doing now. But 50 years from now, when you devote yourself to the word of God, your kid will love you. Your sons and your daughters will come before you and be reminded that my father, my mother, was one who loved the word of God, who kept to his truth, who lived consistently committed to it. That they were not flimsy, tossed back and forth by the winds of change, by the spirit of the age, demonic voices speaking into us, each and every day. Oh church, is there a devotion to the word of God? You feeling it yet? Oh man, I had to deal with this a whole two months, guys. All right? This is for you. First Timothy, how do I know, PT.? How do I know that I'm bearing fruit? First Timothy, 4:16. There's a devotion to the Word of God, but there is a reflection upon doctrine and upon my life. You're like what? Philippians four sixteen. Let me read it to you guys. This is Paul again speaking to his discipler. He calls him son. Four sixteen. It says this: Watch your life, Timothy. Watch your life. Look at your life. Look at the things you do. Look at the choices you make. Look at the things you act upon. Watch your life closely. And watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. The word doctrine sounds too preachy, PT. I don't like it. All right. I'll dumb it down for you. All right? Some of you guys said, I don't I don't like doctrine. I just want Jesus. Why can't I just have Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, he's the savior of the world. Die for my sin. That's doctrine, okay? Just in case you didn't know. Doctrine, simply put, means this. It's wanting to know the things of God's teaching. Theology is not something that seminary students study. Theology is just the knowing God. That's literally what it means, to know God. If you are a son of God, a daughter of God, shouldn't the natural reflex be too I should know my God. I should know what He wants of me. I should know the doctrines He has for my life, the teachings He desires for my life. See, we make these bold confessions. I'm a follower of Jesus. You say it, but then here's your life, and here's what He says. Here's your life. I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Him. I go to church. I serve. And here's your life. Here's your doctrine. Here's your life. Are you like me? Oftentimes you find it clashing with each other. Oftentimes you probably don't even know that it's clashing because you're blinded to it. Sin does that, by the way. It blinds you to think that your life somehow matches God's word when it doesn't, when it doesn't. How can you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, when you don't do anything that Jesus teaches you to do? Your life and your profession of faith does not add up. Look at Romans 12 too, real fast. It says this, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You have to renew your mind. and The way you renew your mind is you begin to say, God, what do you teach me upon this? A lot of us are getting married. What is it that you plan for first when you get married? The venue. I'm not calling anybody out, by the way. I'm just, I'm just I, have a, I have a list, okay? I have a huge list. Don't worry, right? I know a lot of you. Is it the venue, the wedding ceremony, the groomsmen, the bridesmaid, the logistics? Those things are important, but I bet you, after halfway planning it, you just kind of say, "I kind of, kind of just want to elope right now. This is stressful, right?" You think that's that's what I want to do? Those things are great. They're fun. They're exciting. They're supposed to be enjoyable. If you find it to be stressful, then you're probably doing it all for the wrong reasons, right? Those things are great, but what actually should come first, can I tell you, you're going to be thinking about your marriage, if you just pop the question, you're like, whoa, I'm going to be a husband, and then you're like, whoa, she, he just gave me the, I'm going to be a wife. The first thing that should go through your mind should not be, oh, I wonder where we can take our pictures. I wonder where... I know you guys, some of you guys have planned it for a long time, so I don't want to take that away from you, right? But I want, I want, I want, I want to just give this to you. What should first go through your mind is this. just to come home, to open the word of God and to read everything he has to teach you on what it means to be a husband. To teach you on everything what it means to be a wife. To open the word of God from Genesis to Revelation and find everything that the word of God is telling to teach you, the doctrines that he is giving to you in regards to being a husband and to being a wife meditate on it, internalize it, saturate yourself with it. And you make marriage his way. That should feed the first impulse. That's what you need to consume your mind every moment. The ceremony is great, it's one day. And I tell you that, I mean, I know some of you guys have time, big ones and small ones. i the one, I'm excited to be there. I'm grateful to be invited if I'm invited. If not, it's okay. I'm still grateful that you're getting married, right? doesn't matter the ceremony day. What's going to last is is your marriage going to last after that. The doctrines, open the word and read up on that. Sometimes I get nervous for a lot of us because I don't know if you guys are meant to be wives or husbands yet. I don't know if you guys can take responsibilities like that yet. I don't know if you even have the habit to lead your family well with the word of God yet. I get nervous. And you should too, actually. How about when you guys are starting off in your career? What's the first thing you think about? Send out my resumes. Beef up my CV. Make sure it's up to date. Make sure I got all the trainings in so I can look competitive. Like I said, those things are definitely important. You got to present yourself well. What should come first? That you sit down, you open your Bible, and you read every teaching when it comes to work. Every teaching from the word of God when it comes to the doctrine of work that work is part of God's creating process. You are allowed to be a part of God's plan in creating something beautiful in your work. But have you sat down long enough to think about it, to pray about it, to internalize it, so that you will approach your first day on the job His way? Not the overworked so I don't have a family life to go home to because my wife and kids left me, because I can't seem to stop working. Or the quiet quitting where I just want to do bare minimum because life is about my pleasure. So who cares about the job, the boss, the work? You know what I heard? Oh, man. I heard that a lot of people, the, 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 the state of a lot of, of, of our culture, of a lot of young sons and daughters they don't really care about a lot about the future, about creating something beautiful because they stop wanting to have children, right? When you don't want to have children, you don't really care about the world because who cares, right? When you start having children, what do you start thinking about? I want them to be raised in a world that's going to be helpful, that's going to be good. And so you, you, you open the word of God and you begin to ask the question, "Oh Lord, how can my work help create a world? Help be a part of creating something, a, a, a dominion, a place where I can raise my children into, where they can step into something beautiful. I know that I can't save the whole world, but I've been called to this. So let me care for it. When's the last time we care about our work in such a way? Probably most likely not because last time you've read the Bible about it, it's been a while, hasn't it? What about when you're having your first kid, right? Some of us is about to, what do you do? Read up on the latest literature on raising kids. Do I beat them? Do I talk to them? Timeouts? A rod? When do I sleep train them? Should I sleep train them? Mama's milk or bottle fed? All those are important questions, and all those things are great to deal with, and those are great nuances and you know, I'm not gonna lie to you. In our church, we have such variety among our adults that we've learned so much from them. And sometimes me and, um, in home, we always joke with the adults. We say, Hey, we just need to know what you did wrong, right? We see what you did and on one side. You did it this way. Okay. No, no corporal punishment. That's great. On this side, full corporal punishment. And we saw all the kids. Okay. What did you do wrong so that we can fix this? Right. Those things are great, they're important to learn. But the first thing you should do as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, is to do what? Open your Bible and ask the question, what do you, how do you want me to raise my kid, Father? I can barely raise myself. I feel like a kid still, but I trust you. You saved my life, so teach me and I will obey. That's what you should ask first. Open the Bible and see what he has to say. Same thing when you're dealing with money. You got to start getting some cash in because you're working now. What's the first thing you do? Do I have enough for security? Do I have enough for a rainy day? Will I be able to retire with this? How shall I invest this? Important questions. We're called to be good stewards of our finances, no doubt. But what should come first? What should come first is you sit down, you hope in the Bible, and you learn. You let your mind be renewed to what God says about finances. Money is a means to an end. It's not the end itself. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil, right? Right? But money has a problem, of ability to blind us to our greed. So the question we have to ask, the question we have to begin to say is, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with this finance that you have given to me? It cannot, yes, it is for your stewardship, it is for your survival. God is. He knows you need a roof over your head. He knows you need food. He knows you need to get from point A to point B. He knows you need sleep. He knows you need rest. He knows you need some clarity of mind, to have some sort of joy in your life, to have some sort of fun, but at the same time, he's asking, what are you doing with the money I have given to you, that I have blessed you with? How is your giving? Is the li- you have no problem, church, in receiving this grace of Jesus Christ. He's like, yes, generosity from God, I love it, thank you for your blood. But then when it comes in return, it's like, ah, I have to manage this, Lord. How I, I don't want to give to the church completely. You know, like what, I don't know what they're doing. Like PT, who knows what he's doing with that. Somehow do you feel like you don't, that, that, that your generosity, your wisdom about it is so much greater. Some of us, I, I really have to ask you this question. I don't. Like, I, I want you guys to know, I don't, I don't know the tithing, okay? So I have, I have no idea who tithes and who doesn't tithe. I just know the final numbers. My question is this. Is, is you're giving a sacrifice? If you want to know what a doctrine of giving is, I'll give you one right here. Is you're giving a sacrifice? Or is it the extra in your pocket, just enough to make it look like you're giving, but not enough to actually feel like you've actually given And we talked about this. What if Jesus Christ only gave 10%? How do I know how much to give? To the point where it feels like a sacrifice. And you know what it is. You know what it is. Doctrine. Are you filling yourself with the teaching of God? And is your life beginning to match with that? So it's one thing to know it, to be puffed up on its truth, but is your life matching with it? I know these things, PT. I know these things, but is your life matching with it? Paul told Timothy to do what? Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them so that what happens? So that you may be able to save yourself and your hearers. Because when they begin to see your life and what you proclaim, living harmoniously together then they be able to see this is someone who actually believes what they say they say who actually lives to who believes what they say who lives their belief out how can you talk about knowing Jesus Christ and yet his teaching to you totally ignored in your life <clears throat> let me caveat this some of you guys if you guys like oh in this like like oh man this is it's too much i can't handle it right I am not telling you as your pastor to say, tomorrow, become Jesus, right? But I am telling you as your pastor, are you even thinking about it? Are you even working at it? Is it even on the top of your mind? Have you even crossed your heart? If it has not, you best be repenting and start changing. Here's the last one. How do I know? How do I know? Galatians 5. Twenty-two, twenty-three. to 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. How do I know if I'm bearing fruit? The question I ask today is very simple. Are you bearing fruit, church? How do I know, PT? Is there an evident love for your neighbor? Is there a change in your character to such a degree where you would love your neighbor? Not just those who you like, those whom you appreciate, those who follow you, but the, the ones and who maybe even annoys you. Is there a love for humanity and for the people around you? The last distinguishing mark of fruitfulness is your growth and the fruits of the spirits towards your neighbor. Look at your life. Is your character growing in any of these signs? Is it growing in love? In joy? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? You need these things. See, it's, it's. I don't want us, we're not at this church, by the way. I know we're not, right? That we're all puffed up on truth. Maybe a few of us are. Maybe we're puffed up on truth. We're all high and mighty because we know all the truth. Truth without love. Is nothing. It must be coupled with love. Truth calls strength, but love helps bring the people to to grasp it, to hold on to it. There must be love with truth. If you all love, you're like, oh, I'm I'm a very sweet person, but there's no truth behind you. That's scary. You should be afraid because you you have no idea where you're leading them. Pastor Lynn, I, I stole this illustration from Paul this morning, but Pastor Lynn. During our retreat, he shared about one of his daughters. She hates needles. I'm not sure which one, but she hates needles, right? And she, she went to the phlebotomist, and he was so sweet. He was so kind. He was gently coaxing her Don't worry, I got you. You're going to be great. And then he missed her vein. There's <laughs> a huge bruise. And you can be as sweet as you want but you should hit the vein. You should be able to be able to get to where you need to get. Truth without love, okay? Or love without truth, useless. So I want to ask you, are you growing in love towards others? Or are you critical and bitterness, bitter towards people all the time? Are you sharp? Are you snappy? And this, I'm not just telling you love towards people you like. But even to those who annoy you. The Bible says that your neighbors are even those who are your enemies. Is there a love in your heart for them? Not a tolerance for their existence, but a general desire for their well being, a wanting for their elevation, a hoping for their blessing. Are you in a place of sustained joy? You know what joy is? Joy is that regardless of whatever may come your way, mountains may fall, the world around you may collapse, but there is a joy in your heart because you know all things may, may be lost, but I still have Christ. I still have Christ. I still have what he has promised me. I still have him. I do not, I, I can be sad. I can be going through a season of darkness. I can be going through a season of emptiness. But there is a sustained joy because even if I took my last breath, I have him. Or are you simply living each day trying to jump from one happy moment to the next, to the next, to the next, knowing that each one will never last? Are you growing in peace in your heart? Or are you still anxious of what will come your way, worry about what what you have or what you don't have whether, whether you'll make it or not or is there real peace in your life a peace that transcends understanding the Bible says see church all I'm saying is this how do you know this how are you, how are you able to display this Or is this being able to be seen through the life with your neighbors? So if you disappear today would your neighbor say I really miss that person I really miss them I miss the other about their life. I miss the uniqueness and the difference in which they carry themselves. I miss the foundation which they have. I miss the hope in which they hold on to. I miss the way in which their temperament in which they have lived by. I miss this person. If this whole church disappeared today, would anyone around us even care? You can't just be puffed up on love. One of the fruitfulness that comes out of a Christian life is that there's a love for people sometimes it breaks my heart I know there is because the church all, most churches has it backbiting backtalking gossiping there's no love in that and if I can confess sometimes out uh, of frustration I say things too things I regret things I don't want to say But as a church, guys, is there a love for people to such a degree that you say, you know what? I will change. I will change. I will change. Because this very person in whom I am bickering against, gossiping towards, bitter against, this very person in whom Christ died for, how arrogant of me. To beat them down with my tongue. To burn their life up with my words. To not have remorse in my soul for the very person that Christ has died for. Oh, church, is there love for your neighbor? Are you fruitful, TLC? Is your life a life of fruitfulness in your ministries, in your service, small groups, your interactions, your salt, I just want you to ask that question, are you fruitful? Mm-hmm. Last Next week, we're going to talk about just the rhythms of a word, of what it looks like to develop and to harder and deepen this more in our lives for this year, but I want us to really ask that really hard question, church, I don't want us to take our last breath and realize, oh Lord, we have missed the mark so far. Are you fruitful? Let's pray.